I'm Roger Miller, and this is Collective Mass Radio. Hello and welcome to Collective Mass Radio. This is episode number 14 and I'm sorry for my long absence. I've just been crunching on note space feverishly to try and get that done. Good news is that we're on track, so uh, in case you were worried. But today we've got a great interview with um, the guys from Camouflage. It was recorded live in Unite, so I apologize in advance for the quality of the recording, but hopefully you can get something from it. Uh, before we start, though, I'd like to chat about a couple of things. One is best in show for Unite was most definitely Text Mesh Pro. Um, if you're still looking for a good text solution, that is the best text solution that you have in Unity uh, on the market. Make sure that you look at their um, depth shader. So what it does is converts your uh, font into a texture, but that texture is specially set up so that it has the depth data of that, te- of, of that font available to it. And so it is technically resolution independent and it looks great on all devices. And you get that all from a single uh, texture atlas that you ran around. It's a fantastic solution. The guy, I think, is Stefan, and he uh, is definitely open to feedback. He is a great guy. He just recently spoke at the Unity user group uh, and did a fantastic job. And so, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Otherwise, I know that the Microsoft plugin for Prime 31 uh, is free, thanks to Microsoft. Microsoft also recently acquired Unity VS. Unity VS, for people who don't know, is a... Uh, kind of a plugin solution that allows you to to debug Unity projects in Visual Studio. So if you're Visual Studio nut, uh, it's definitely something for you to check out. So we've also Unity's latest release, I think, is 4.5.5, um, and the first patch release is out as well. The second patch release, actually. Um, I've been using that. Nothing's breaking, and it's pretty cool. And the other thing that you guys definitely need to check out is the Unity uh, cloud building solution. Um, I've been using it for the last couple of months since Unite, and it is fantastic. They're in their beta program right now, and we will have them on the next show. Without further ado, here is Camouflage. Hello and welcome to uh, the Unity Podcast. We're here in Seattle at Unite, and it's a really exciting uh, event. Lots of people, lots of cool stuff being announced. But more importantly, I'm with the guys from Camouflage. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Thanks for um, having us. Been trying to hunt these guys down. They made a, an incredible game for iOS, a really interesting monetization model. Um, I'm sure with the fidelity of the game that there were lots of challenges. So um, I'm just going to introduce the guys to you. If you can also just go around and uh, tell us a little bit about what your role is in the company and uh, why you like it, camouflage so much. Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Greg Robb. Um, I'm an engineer uh, with the studio, and uh, I've been there for about a year and a half now, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, my role there primarily is uh, just as an engineer, I guess, I guess, I guess the first and foremost. Uh, and that's uh, working on things from gameplay to deeper kind of like back-end systems, assisting uh, uh, artists, designers, and other devs, and uh, just kind of hoping for the best. Uh, uh, I think, I think my, my favorite thing of being with the, the camouflage uh, 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 group in general is that we have a very flat structure, which means that everyone has uh, the opportunity to uh, speak up and to voice their opinions, um, to really uh, feel like they have uh, uh, a sense of ownership and they can uh, drive design, drive uh, influence you know, on the project, which is really awesome. It's amazing, great. Yeah. My name is Vince. I am a designer at Camouflage, although I have, in the past, worn many a hat. Um, I've been at Camouflage now for almost, yeah, a year and a half now, about the same as Greg. Um, 
I've been in charge of anything from IT infrastructure to build engineering and just um, general design, level design, system design, and counter design. Um, I want to say that I enjoy camouflage for the how open our work environment is. We, we work in a very open space. There are no cubicles to be found. Um, <laughs> if, if you need to go harass the artist, I mean, if you need to go create, uh, provide constructive creative, uh, criticism to the artist, you can just walk over there and then strike up a conversation with anyone. It's it's truly, truly great. And we're also extremely close together, too. It's like yeah, yes. a right. can of sardines in there. Hi, <laughs> Hi I'm Eric Bergen. I am also an engineer at Camouflage. I tend to work on a lot of general gameplay stuff, stuff like AI, lots of different systems. Also, the audio programming. Uh, something I really like about working at Camouflage is that I get to work on a lot of different systems in our games. So I'm not just spending all my time working on, say, the AI or working on you know, the uh, back camera system or something. I get to work on lots of things. It's really fun being able to go and do different stuff all the time. Man, so, that must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to have Eric's expertise on all these systems. You know, he's, uh, he's a genius. Yeah, your turn, Yusuke. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, I'm uh, Yusuke Kiroda. Uh, I came from Japan as a uh, UI designer. Uh, oh, sorry. I... I'm not good at speak English. Yeah, doing really well. How about you? So I guess it's my turn. My name's Charlie Hellman. I am a UI programmer mostly. And unlike Eric, I don't get to work on lots of stuff. <laughs> I almost exclusively do UI, but I love it, and it's a lot of fun. And you're awesome at it, too. And I'm awesome at it. Uh, yep. <laughs> I also do like localization. Lately, I've taken that up, managing that. And just uh, some gameplay programming stuff, but not very much. Well, let's dive into UI, because UI and UID has always been you know, a bit troublesome. Uh, so what UI solution do you use, and, and why? So in Republic, we use Engui. Um, we, I think we chose Engui initially I think a year and a half ago. I wasn't there when we made the decision, but it was pretty initial standard back then. It still kind of is now. Um, we're definitely excited about the new UGUI or I guess they're just calling it the new UI, right. uh, which is a dumb name. <laughs> Please, you know, you don't, don't call it that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, they named, like, the new particle system Shuriken, and, oh, and, okay, and, yeah. and Mechanim is, was the name for the new animation system. Uh-huh. Why can't they Charlie, name... They're making your device, you know, you know, more secure, because you have to, like, hunt yeah, things Yeah, exactly. They're, they're actually making it harder to search for problems. <laughs> <laughs> Right now, let's search for Unity UI yeah. on Google. What are you yeah. going to get? Yeah. You're going to get like a bunch of random stuff. So what's pretty Unity, maybe? Yeah. So what yeah. happens when we have the inevitable next release of Unity UI? Will it be the, the newer Unity UI? Yeah, yeah. The, the new, new, new yeah. <laughs> Unity UI. This isn't the first time that Unity's released um, improvement to the UI, is it? Uh, well, there is the original like GUI system. Uh-huh. Which nobody really wants to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> people try to, try to not think about that one too much. And uh, the, the, the guy that, that, that works on the GUI worked with Unity for a brief for a period too, right? Yeah. So it kind of helped kind of shape you know, the UI. That's... Yeah, Mr. Mr. Lushenko, I'm a big fan of, uh, of his work. Um, yeah, I guess he's not working there anymore, but there's definitely a lot of things that transferred over from the GUI mm. workflow that are obviously uh, a part of UGUI's workflow. Um, do you see us hopping from Engui to uh, just full Unity UI or having a hybrid of some kind? 
We've actually, I think we're, we're considering a hybrid where we would, uh, kind of the new standalone uh, separated modules we would make as part of the UGUI, or make using UGUI. Uh, but we would still support NGUI as it exists. One of our biggest problems with NGUI right now is that we can't upgrade. Um, we have a lot of text in our game, and we had to create a custom solution for all of our labels and our text. Right. So uh, that is really flimsy, and it barely works. And every time we try to upgrade to the latest version of NGUI, our 40,000 lines of text in our game implode Ooh. horrifically. Um, have you taken a look at uh, TextMesh Pro downstairs? TextMesh Pro? Uh, no, I haven't. I've read about it. I think, uh, I think the guy who's working on it is also um, part of the, the beta group. I think I've seen him complaining about the name yeah. uh, UI as well. It's like localization thing? Uh, it's a free text. Well, it's a, it's a, a standalone text solution. Yeah. Um, I just took a look at it this morning, and, I'm, and I've worked with a lot of Sprite solutions, and... Uh, and it's not your regular sprite solution, which is awesome. It's uh, they they store the shape data rather than like the bitmap data, mm -hmm. so it renders perfect text at any size. And like you know, you've released on mobile devices, so you know the problem with like multiple sizes yes. for different platforms. Mm -hmm. That's no longer an issue. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be integrating it in my new game. So mm -hmm. kind of yeah, hunting. Yeah, the guy who made that was actually used to playing on the forums in the same thread where they announced they weren't going to call it Yugi. He's saying, <laughs> I just made a sign and I don't know what to call it. Like, <laughs> should I say I work with the new UI? <laughs> and they said, yes. So I think that's probably what's on his banner now. Right, right. Just, the new UI. The new UI. The new, new, new <laughs> UI. Well, uh, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, like, with. Did you use the events, like the input system, with uh, Angry as well, or did you roll your own? We pretty much relied on uh, OnClick, right. uh, which is like the bread and butter. Um, it's interesting how much more involved the event system is for you, Gary, having to, I guess, subscribe to these different interfaces based on the type of input that you're expecting, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I was a, I was a little bit um, put off by the fact that you couldn't make custom colliders for your buttons. But uh, hopefully they'll uh, address that soon. Well, yeah, so. uh, well um, how did you also address multiple sizes? You're on a mobile platform, it looks beautiful. So this is very interesting right now because we're also working on our PC version. Right. And uh, we've been trying to tackle things with the same prefabs for all of our UI. Um, and we actually created a system that uses NGUI's anchoring um, and then our own like different set of widgets to arrange our UI based on platform. Right. Um, so our inventory, for example, the sidebar is pretty big on mobile and it needs to be so that you can see it really clearly. But if it stays that same proportion on, uh, on PC, things are going to look pixelated and it also looks really dumb. Right. So we, uh, we developed a system where we could, based on platform, uh, assign a different size to that entire widget. Um, which you, paired with Unity's anchoring system. You also use some sort of like uh, a plugin to kind of like get different like emulation of different kind of screen, screen resolutions. Oh, and stuff yes, like if you're a UI person and you haven't used something called XARM, I think it's called Advanced Resolution Monitor or something. Uh, it's really good. It's like fifty-five bucks, and it's the best fifty-five bucks I think we've ever spent. <laughs> it gives you like, platform, especially, yeah. yeah, especially multiple platforms. It, it like supports every single screen size you can think of. Um, it's useful for previewing what your UI is actually going to look like, uh, like at exact uh, pixel ratio on a whole bunch of different types of screens. Excellent. I used it for all of our Android stuff that we had to do. 
now I'm using it for PC to actually, um, and you can like take screenshots, make PNGs of what it would look like, and this is all that like actually testing on device. It's kind of hard in Unity to to replicate actual resolution. Right, right. It sounds pretty neat. Is that on the Asset Store? It is on the Asset Store, and I get twenty percent of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually don't. That's That's maybe maybe you should make like, some deal with yeah, that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, the game's graphical fidelity in general is beautiful. Um, Thank you. <laughs> how how did you address that? I mean, was there? I'm sure there must have been lots of challenges. Uh, where did you start? And is the finished product that you have now exactly what you had in your head, or uh, you still looking to take more steps to try and uh, push the quality? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can't speak for our. Unfortunately, none of our artists are here to, to speak on this behalf. But I will know, like going into the project, they've been very very smart about authoring content at the highest resolution possible, the highest quality possible, right. and then having our source materials at such a high level, and then as you know, per platform basis, bring bringing those graphics to in line with the specs of those devices has been kind of our, our approach currently. Right. Um, I will say that uh, Eric and I have been working on making sure that those high-end graphics are performance as <laughs> possible, which has been a challenge. But I am, I think, I think we can agree that overall, it's. Very satisfied with yeah. the, you know, the the outcome of the game on especially mobile platforms. Absolutely. I mean, uh, your shaders are awesome. You know, when you switch between the cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Like, well, that stuff's great. Um, is there custom shading on the characters as well, or did you use the Unity's out of the box when you spec them yourself? I believe it. We're using custom shaders on them too. I believe okay. we are. are we. Uh, as, a, as a startup kind of like a game studio, we've, we've, we've kind of uh, uh, gained and lost people you know, over the course of like the several years that we've been a studio. And uh, one of the, uh, the great um, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 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 artists and tech artists that we, that we had with us was a guy named Israel Hanson White. And uh, he's actually working on his own uh, Unity game now called Memory of a, you know, a Broken Dimension. All right. And he's, he, he's like a wizard when it comes like, to like shader stuff. He's just super, just like. Really like 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 in tune with what looks cool and how to do it like quick and prototype and stuff. Yeah, we have a lot of our uh, yeah. a lot of our effects shaders especially are thanks to him. Probably mm-hmm. more protests with him. He's a genius. Yes. <laughs> and I and I feel lost when I look at his code. <laughs> <laughs> lost in its brilliance. But uh, to get kind of like this, just just kind of different kind of um, uh, 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 performance kind of things out of you know, the uh, scenes and things too. We do uh, streaming in and out of our our. our sub-scenes and stuff, and because of the fact that our game is all um, from fixed uh, camera positions, we kind of have a pretty easy way to uh, know when some art scenes should be loaded in or not loaded in, so we we like, rapidly like load in and out art scenes all the time to okay. keep the most you know, kind of memory, memory kind, of, kind of usage. Yeah, we've been rather lucky with um, how we approach uh, our game, especially the cameras. Having fixed positions allows us to pretty much cater to those positions and say, Hey, for everything that's on frame, you know, we can beautify everything that's on frame, and then everything that's out of frame, we can kind of take down and, and give us more kind of uh, leeway to enhance what's what the character is actually seeing. And, you know, in a three D game, there's much more behind behind the camera that that is often at times rendered. And what we try to do is is try to focus on what's in frame. And since we have set cameras, we can we know what that is at any given time. It allows us to kind of uh, crank up fidelity, fidelity a little bit more on mobile, knowing exactly what we're rendering. Yeah, there's actually, there's, there's what, three art scene loads in Brig alone, and Brig is probably our smallest area. There are about 13, if not more. 
13 in Brig? Oh, because yeah. there's, there's... Oh, that's right, Brig. So many just, like, small yeah. like, sub-scenes. Yeah. I mean, you go yeah. from one camera to the next, and, like, we're loading in and out, you know, things that you couldn't see previously. And, yeah. Uh-huh. It's also allowed us to take um, really good use of Unity's new cruising system, Umbra, that they acquired not too mm. long ago. Um, we've used that a lot, and having an entirely indoor space uh, has been really a benefit for us using inclusion systems such as Umbra. But, mm-hmm. um, I'm really excited to see uh, episode three because our spaces have become pretty pretty varied. So yes, oh, really, wow. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your loading system. Like that's one of the things in Unity is like you have to pick an approach. Right? Mm-hmm. So somebody either and I, you'll have a single scene that starts up and then you just load in assets. How did you um, how did you take to the challenge of like you've got multiple scenes that were pretty set? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you load in additively load scenes in or how do you do yeah? So. What we do is, uh, when you switch into a into another camera, we go and look at what what art scenes that needs to load, and so we additively load all those scenes. And before that, we actually have to unload any ones that we don't want. Right. And there's a little pause in the game when this happens. On higher end devices, it's a very short pause, but in some cases, it can be longer too. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's, not it's clever how you would hide that in such a long time. So. Um, how how did you come to this conclusion of like uh, figuring out what to load and what to unload? So on a camera by camera basis, we well the design team goes ahead and, and takes a look at each camera, and we see what would be visible to the player from each camera, and then we we explicitly reference to each camera each arch that needs to be loaded. Right. Um, we do we do use a paradigm of kind of an overarching scene with a number of arch scenes streaming in and out, and there's also a background skeleton of, of scenes that are always loaded. Such as like our Yes, exactly. Um, so the camera transitions, which you pointed out earlier, actually are there to kind of mask the loads between the art scenes as they stream in and out right. between such cameras. And it's, one of the uh, one of the huge ones, actually, this kind of master scene set too, is that uh, it allows uh, multiple people to working on the same uh, scene all at the same time because uh, we have individual uh, unity uh, scene assets that um, everyone can be working on, you know, individually. Mm-hmm. Which, which um, uh, means we're not like um, you know, uh, uh, you know, at, at work with one another trying to like you know, get like the next cut check in and right. you know, stuff like this control. So yeah, actually, it's it's actually it's a, it's a really um, nice uh, uh, kind of hierarchy system. I, I, I'd uh, urge anybody that's working with a kind of a larger group, maybe like ten people or so, or so even 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 kind of like eight, you know, kind of. So it's it's a really nice setup to have to have this kind of like owning master um, scene that essentially uh, responsible for loading in and out all the additive, you know, uh, sub-scenes. And, it, and we have things for design, which are kind of like, as I mentioned, always loaded in because we need to, like, uh, always have those things in memory to perhaps uh, keep the uh, game state alive. And uh, we just, like, load in and out our scenes, which don't have any kind of, like, interactivity or any kind of game logic associated with them. It's awesome. It's a, it's a really good approach. It's probably the best approach that I've seen so far with mm-hmm. um, Well, let's talk about source control, because that kind of leads in sure. from that. Um, first of all, what source control system do you use? And uh, how did you get to the point of figuring out, like, hey, you own the scene, I own the scene, and like, I'm working on this. Was there a lot of pain involved before you got Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess I can talk about source control. We've, we've had a rather lengthy history and a very storied one with source control. We initially started out using um, Atlassian Mercurial, I believe. Um, and that was uh, initially when it was set up. This was before my time, rather. Um, engineers at the time were more familiar with uh, 
with that with Mercurial than they were, say, you know, Git right. or, or SVN. So that was the decision made. And at that time, we had to teach everyone how to use Mercurial. We used um, both Source Tree and I believe uh, Tortoise, right. kind of the, as, the, as the front end. Um, and that proved to be really effective in kind of getting the team onto a, a nice social control system that worked for, at the time, a very small team, maybe right. five to ten people. But then as we started to grow a number of, of, uh, of developers, we found that um, collisions um, and also having to sync to the repo, uh, the depot every, every couple of minutes to, to, to work seemed to be a, rather counterintuitive to our workflow. Right. Um, it spent a lot of time, as, also as the project size grew, um, the thing about Mercurial is that everyone has a copy of the repository on their machine, and they're always pulling the latest. It's a distributed network rather than you know client-server. Right. It's a peer-to-peer uh, source control system, so that meant that everyone had to have the most up-to-date files on their computer at any given time to work, Right. Um, which proved to be a, a bit of a challenge yeah. as well as team size of the project. We just development now, and I mean, just, you have to sync the latest and test those changes again, and also just, at least, always kind of like awful, awful collisions where, you know, <laughs> Where there's like no uh, no authority over like who actually has this thing checked out. Yes, right, right. you have to spend like an hour checking in sometimes because yeah. you can only one person can check in at a time. Ooh. So there'd be a big yeah. lineup of people who yeah. want to check in, and then sometimes one check in can break another one. Mm. Say if it's like a code check in, oh, yeah. so those you have to go and test before you can actually. Mm. Yeah. We we had some pretty uh, indie solutions to the problem. <laughs> we had a we had a group chat going to be like, oh, I'm checking scenes out. Yeah. Please respect my, my checkout. <laughs> right, right. And we also had um, a check in system of. Um, River had the jar of cookie butter. <laughs> we, we pass that around, being like, I got, the, "I got the jar, guys. You can't check in." How does the jar, jar of cookie butter last that long? I don't understand. <laughs> I think it was like a late night, and we were crazy. Yeah, we were like, "What, what can we do to, to symbolize that we have the power?" Well, yeah. If I had the jar of cookie butter, the next person would have the empty jar. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you guys use now? I'm happy to say that. Well, as as we outgrew Mercurial, which was great at the time, we we are now using Perforce. All right, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and this. Perforce, like a lot of guys are always worried about the price point. Mm-hmm. How did you find Perforce, and how did you make that decision? Early on, we went with uh, Perforce's kind of trial solution, which is free for twenty up to twenty users, unlimited right. file size, as long as you have about twenty users. Um, so we did that for a while just to get people acclimated to the system. And as we, you know, grew the company past that twenty user limit, then we went to a subscription-based model with Perforce. And initially, the the, the price point did kind of you know, scare us away from a full uh, migration over to Perforce. Right. But then you know we we pulled out the maths. We were like, all right, guys, how much time are we actually losing every day a lot. to yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know staking the material? And you know, would it be worth it, dollars and cents wise, to move over to Perforce? And you know, it was like unanimous. Like, yes, we were losing so much time waiting for commits. It just doesn't make sense to stay. And for uh, some of the listeners who aren't familiar with Perforce, what are the big uh, differences between that and, say, SVN and Mercurial? Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, Mercurial, which we were using before, was a client, uh, client-server-based kind of pair. Or, no, it was, Mercurial is a peer-to-peer-based uh, system. And Perforce, which is actually very similar to SVN, is a client-server-based system. So rather than everyone having to make sure that everyone else is synced in a peer-to-peer network, um, with Perforce, you just connect to a central server and it says, hey, central server, I would like this file to work on. Please check that out for me. Right. And the next person can say, hey, central server, does someone have this file checked out? Can I work on this file? And the server says, like, yes, this file is open. Or no, uh, user you know, Greg has the file, so you have to wait for him to return it. Right. And you can actually mark individual different kind of like um, file types and, and, and things uh, to, uh, to be, um, uh, you know, exclusive checkout, which means only one person can, can 
own that kind of at any kind of given moment, or you can have other things which are like text-based assets, like CS files and things, is, is mergeable. That way, you can, you can merge those things with other kind of check-ins and, and stuff. But it's it's a pretty nice uh, solution. Also allows you to um, kind of like uh, force uh, get latest or force get certain versions in a very, very easy, easy kind of you know, uh, clear-cut kind of way. Yeah, another benefit of the uh, whole client-server approach too is also. Um, the ability to only pull parts of the deeper at any given time. So, say if the art if the artist only consuming art assets, for instance, mm -hmm. they can only pull the art portion of the deeper, right, 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 and, and so on and so forth. So you don't have to pull the entire depot size as it grows in size, and you know I can clog the network and just take a long time to pull all the files. So it's been really great for working with external parties and saying like, here's your here's your isolated portion of the depot. Go ahead and work on that. Um, you know, artists, here's your your art depot. Go ahead and work on that, and that way. Everyone doesn't have to have all the files all the time. Right? One of the things with 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 um, uh, Mercurial too, I think, I believe, I mean, since it is like a like a peer to peer based uh, source oh. control, is that uh, the way like like it, like it works when you when you pull a new workspace, you're pulling every every change that's ever ever happened, kind of like. That's true. You're pulling the entire history. Yeah, of the and like whereas like a source control, you know, uh, uh, with a, with a perforce, it's like you're just you're grabbing what exists in the server, and there's no like like history unless you. Talk to the, the server, and you, you like you grab a certain you know, re, uh, uh, revision of some file or whatever. Exactly, and as as the time goes on, that those history files do get rather large. Yeah. Right. right. Gotcha. Uh, let's talk about editor tools. Uh, it looks like I mean, the game like this and like they make really good custom editor tools. Mm -hmm. um, what were they, and uh, what were the biggest challenges that the editor tools help you to overcome? Uh, I can talk about like uh, waypoints or uh, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, we don't actually spend that much time on editor tools, uh, kind of unfortunately for designers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the first things I actually worked on at this company was an editor tool for placing waypoints, which we use for navigation, just to enable like influence mapping and stuff like that. But uh, I tried like an approach for automatically generating these things. And kind of eventually went more towards like the tool would help you place them, uh -huh. but we haven't really gotten too much time to iterate on these things. They're kind of just like custom windows which you open up. They can draw some things in the scene, kind of show you show you like what's going to be placed there. But they're very basic right. kind of tools we make. I would say in general, we we kind of rely more on uh, third party uh, like new plugins and things, just kind of with the mindset that um you know these these people are are. Are you authoring these things and it's like their sole kind of interest and they're right. able to update them and support them. We don't have dedicated uh, engine or tools team basically you know, to kind of like assist and so uh, we're focused pretty much uh, all the time on, on the new features, gameplay, maintenance of existing systems and so it doesn't really make a whole lot of um, uh, sense for us to like essentially like uh, 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 bite off more than we can chew and right. who's maintaining and updating and stuff. But we use things like um, uh, uh, Pro Builder, for instance, for, yes. uh, uh, for like, you know, all kinds of things. I'm actually going to a Pro Builder talk right after this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gabriel from Pro Builder is an awesome guy. The tool is amazing. It is incredible for us designers. Um, and uh, I'm waiting for the uh, for the 2.0, which will be coming out. They guys yeah. are talking about the new UV update. That's looking dope. Excited. It's been interesting to see Pro Builder expand in functionality and become you know, support more modeling features of the tool. Right. Um, it, initially, when we had like you know Pro Builder. Um, it was just basic shapes and creating levels, which is practically entirely what we needed. Right. But as, as functions have expanded and we've adopted it into the design team, it's been really great working with Chrome. Excellent. Uh, what other third-party tools do you use besides Chrome? Uh, we've got Angui. Uh, we had that uh, 
Easy Save is one. It's yeah. a, a um, serialization. Shader Forge. Uh, uh, yeah, Shader Forge. I was about to say that our hearts are uh, We use uh, finger gestures, I think, right now is, is one we do uh-huh. for iOS, kind of like finger gesture texture, which, which actually kind of like, kind of like uh, uh, reduced a lot of that because yeah. we ended up having most of just like one touch gameplay. But. Well, in our, uh, our Blueprint 3, that uses Easy Touch. That's right. Which I'm super familiar with. That's right. I also recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, what else do we use? There's kind of lots of stuff. Here. Mesh Maker. Mesh Maker. Oh, yeah, um, it's great. Oh, it's a story. It's great. It's great in what it does. It's for performance. Yes. Just making yeah. all the meshes combining them. Right? The results have been great. The results yeah. have been great. <laughs> <laughs> like, the code is not. <laughs> um, you guys also have a pretty, let's say, like uh, exclusively unique, but like a, um, a risky take for your uh, monetization. Mm-hmm. Can you guys talk about how you got to that point? I mean, like, there's a big argument right now, obviously, of go on to the end of time, of, like, free-to-play versus you know, premium versus, like, the episodic stuff. How did you guys decide on episodic stuff? And um, if I may ask this question, how is it proving to be successful? Um, I would say just as, like, a history and, and to kind of, like, explain how we got to where we are, uh, the owner of the... Studio has always been very adamant about uh, not wanting to um, have uh, free play kind of like um, uh, sort of style games where you're kind of like bleed money from, a, from an end user. He wants to have premium content that's uh, it's available at premium prices, and right. uh, he, he he doesn't want to like you know hide fees, hide transactions, and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, we originally were hoping to put out you know, a um, ten episode. A long uh, story, and uh, we think it was, that was kind of an unrealistic thing for us to do at the time. Um, and over the course of development, we realized, wow, we can only do one. You know, you know, at a given time, it's 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 just absolutely crazy for us to think we could do that, you know, that many. Uh, and so we kind of looked around, looked at um, uh, um, things like the uh, the Walking Dead, uh, right. Telltale games, and their kind of episodic uh, model, which seemed to like make a lot of sense for the type of game that we were doing, where we had like major story beats, and um, we could kind of have like your cliffhangers and that kind of thing, and um, we honestly like. I mean, we have to you give give uh, them absolute, absolute, you know, total props for kind of like laying that groundwork and, and establishing episodic as a real model that's you know um, understandable, recognizable to the end user. And so, um, that's kind of where we're headed, um, and uh, it allows us to be pretty uh, flexible when we you roll people on and off, uh, new new episodes, uh, artists and designers and. Engineers with new features. It's just right. it's, it's it's been a pretty nice thing. It's, it's kind of like uh, also allowing us to uh, continually update it. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a games as a service kind of mindset where you're you're able to listen to feedback from users, um, you're able to modify you know uh, uh, you know uh, existing uh, features and content uh, to uh, better the experience, uh, add more to it. For instance, um, Eric actually worked on this really cool uh, map mode. Actually, also bit those already. It's near both. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sorry. Um, uh, I worked on this really and awesome uh, and use case. Okay, well, I didn't work on it at all here. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm the only one here that didn't work on it. <laughs> but this really awesome uh, map mode, cool um, new feature, which which really adds a lot to to the uh, strategy and the kind of overall sense of like you know, where you are, where you need to go. And I was actually introduced in the second episode, but we were able to retrofit it into in the first episode. We're nice. hoping to uh, continue to do that kind of thing where we're adding new features, uh, new ways to interact with, you know, uh, with the world and. and, and 
the game in general. Um, uh, and and have you found a good um, kind of pickup for the like the, the second episode where you start to find some money? Have you have you found that it's been successful? So your second episode, um, have you found like a, a so big fall off? I would I would say that um, I I think at least from my kind of point of view, iOS is a difficult uh, 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 sort of market just in general. There's so many games. Uh, we're uh, kind of um, uh, just not investigating uh, uh, new platforms. We're hoping to move to Android in the near future. We're already on Amazon um, on their uh, new Fire Phone um, and a Kindle tablet. Um, I, 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 I sort of think from my personal uh, perspective that it's harder for gamers to uh, recognize that a deeper narrative story-driven game is actually uh, worthwhile to play on a uh, phone or tablet. Right, right. Uh, I, I think I think that's going to be the future. I really do think that. I just think it's going to be kind of a matter of, of, of just kind of like um, people want understanding that, and recognizing that, and willing to sit down you know, on their sofa or on, you know, on the bus or wherever else and actually being grossed. Um, I, I think it's it's been successful, but not to where we kind of quite want it to be just yet. Right. I'm hoping that um, Steam will be a big, big, big boost uh, for us. I think that's kind of uh, going to be our next kind of major focus right. is uh, to, to get, you know, a really cool, you know, solid core PC experience. And uh, you guys been looking at consoles at all? I mean, it seems like a perfect console game. Um, we considered it. Um, not, <laughs> not, not really sure to share. Yeah, nothing um, to announce yet. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. we can say, I think. I mean, we're... We thought about it. But I mean, it's 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 not completely like you know off the table. It's just it's it's not anywhere in the, in the near future. And uh, it's 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 interesting because it's you know our, our our core input has always been one touch. That's where we always try to put all of our focus. And because we have always wanted to be on iOS as our as our first kind of market, and we wanted you know to bring a a, a, a complete complex uh, stealth action. Um, really cool game like Metal Gear, like like Metal Gear Solid kind of game to uh, iOS where all you have is one touch and right. reinterpret that so it, it, would, it, it would kind of you know, force us to kind of go back to where we were coming from which is like you know the 17 button controller right, right. gotcha well um, yeah that's, that's super interesting I really hope that people do kind of invest in a game as an engrossing experience mm-hmm. I remember the, the biggest thing for me when I first picked up the game is I don't expect that much from mobile games anymore I expect it to be same. Like, you know, <laughs> I felt the same exact way and uh kind of started playing it, I was done with the console game, I didn't have anything else to play, I started playing it, and then I kind of figured I need to eat something, and I'm yeah. like, okay, well, let me go to bed, then I can take my yeah. iPad to uh-huh. bed, and yeah. I found it, to me, it was the first really engrossing console-style experience I ever had so the much. Game. That's, what, that's what we're going for, absolutely, that's what we're going for. You guys did a great, great job. Thank you. So is there any big points of frustration between... Besides source control that you have in the project, like design considerations that you started out with, that you uh, you ended up deciding, you know, having to change halfway. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I can say, speaking of design, we initially before we used ProBuilder, we used a lot of uh, Maya and um, uh, Maya files for our, like say Collision, and uh, I know a lot of students still use say Maya, Maya for Collision, Maya or Max, or some kind of 3D modeling for him to create Collision volumes for the game. Um, we found that iteration was very slow and, and tedious once when we were on that paradigm. So we did shift to ProBuilder, which has been a really great experience so far. Okay, excellent. I would say just in general, that, I mean, just like this, this, is, this, this, this is a recurring thing in all game development. But uh, I would say that game development is, is not the uh, the industry for the 
the light of her, her <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. I mean, we've always been, you know, on fire. We always have, and it's just kind of like we're just kind of like trying to like, you know, contain the fire as best we can um, as we move to next milestones and, and that kind of thing. And uh, it's just a matter of uh, trying to keep scope. And that's, I mean, you hear that absolutely everywhere, but um, scope is, is so very important to understand. You know, what you're actually creating. Make sure people that, that, that are working on it are um, you know the same mindset and that they know what they all kind of need to work on together and, right. and, and we're actually able to deliver on, on what we need to do. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, that's always always a problem. It's always you know um, uh, some garden you have to kind of like constantly water and constantly kind of tend to. But it's really important. Do you guys use a, a scrum methodology? Do you have your own hybrid way of doing it? Do you guys do morning stand-ups? Or? Well, I mean, uh, I came from Amazon where we. We were definitely like an agile scrum environment, and um, I mean, we have morning stand-ups as a team. We're all in the same room anyway, so I, it's, there's really not that much of a, a need for it. We're really good at communicating. We're all uh, talking to each other on chat. Um, we still have meetings to like triage bugs pretty often. Um, the, the company and team team leaders. Um, uh, people who have chosen to be accountable for the different departments, they have their own meetings sometimes to discuss certain things. Uh, so things get taken care of that way. I don't think we're big enough that uh, we felt some of the pains that, that spawned the Agile movement as right. much. But I think in general we're an Agile team and we're all very young and very open-minded, so we're willing to crunch hard and yeah. tackle problems. And what was the craziest feature that you guys had envisioned that you didn't put in the game? Oh boy. <laughs> we didn't put in the game? Yeah. Well, yeah I mean, it's all kinds of things. Brainstorming, I mean, and you're like, it would be awesome if they just scratched yeah. out of this guy. I mean, our right. monitors. Like, well, I, well, I mean, like, like one of like the main things that like Ryan, you know, our our, our uh, CEO, kind of always always wanted was a sense of like um, the the world is this ant farm, yeah. and you're able to at any point hop to any camera anywhere in the entire game, and uh, everyone, you know, all the AI are all you know, living, and NPCs are all living, and like you're functioning, and you basically are like 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 in the Sims. Only it's just, like your George Orwellian 1984 <laughs> kind of world. Um, which honestly was was a really cool idea, and um, it's just so unrealistic. We, we talked about you know the idea of like scaling down the AI based on like you know, how far away they were and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and that kind of having like an event based kind of system, I guess somewhere to like an Animal Crossing or something like <laughs> that kind of thing. But, 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 but I mean, fell off. I mean, pretty early on. I feel like. I feel like yeah, that's like the joys of design is like another thing. Going back to Greg's whole like game design isn't for the uh, faint of heart is that. Just don't be afraid to like pitch ideas because inevitably, you know, some of them will fail. But you know, just never be afraid to pitch ideas. Uh, one of my favorite ones. Um, was this in there? I was just thinking. Um, let's get my turn. Things like uh, 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 perfect attack. Oh, yeah, actually, oh, our attack system was well. Okay. Exactly what we were talking about. We had we had a very fleshed out combat system. Which we found was was hard to telegraph, and to the player, especially on mobile, how do you how do you notify the player what's going on in a combat system when, when mobile uh, when, when your input is just one touch, right? And how do you empower the player with one touch to have a very complicated net combat system? And that was something on the design side we've we've tackled you know numerous times, and uh, in the end we we kind of stepped back from our kind of grand promises for combat. But I feel like our combat is still very involved. And very strategic, mm-hmm. but um, we definitely had a grander visions going into combat. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, uh, just in general, I, I think this is a, sort of an accident, maybe to a little, uh, to a certain, uh, uh, I guess, a degree. But our owner is also a huge fan of Dark Souls, and Dark Souls, you know, is kind of all about uh, not um, um, explaining anything about how to actually play the game. Uh, and so we're we're very much, uh, I'd say, I'd say aligned with that. We're not very good at uh, tutorializing um, how to play and and like how to do various kind of actions and, and, and things. And so it's it's kind of a, a lot about like. Um, figuring out how to do the things you need to do. So, like, things like combat, it's just, it's really hard with, like, one touch and not, you know, explaining that. And uh-huh. there, there are a lot of things in the game that, that I don't think people, you know, uh, uh, know about. It's kind of a matter of, like, exploration. Um, one of my kind of favorite ones is that um, you can uh, break uh, escort, actually, uh, by doing various you know, different things in the game from uh, locking doors in between Pope and the guard. And, um, you can uh, fire off uh, distractions and things, and guards will like you know uh, be be like worried about that, hoping like you know uh, run and escape. And there's just there are lots of things that you in there that that aren't you know, on the nose that people probably don't, don't actually get to see. Because we don't we don't really hold the player's hand when we're teaching them. We yeah. teach them how to get through the first zone, right. and we if they get caught, they get caught. We don't like give yeah. them another chance or anything, uh-huh. and we don't we don't really introduce these things. They're, it's left for the player to discover them. Which I'm definitely for, but I'm kind of on a mission as well to make it easier to discover those things mm. through UI, making it more obvious that they're there. Uh, maybe highlighting highlighting the door when you're getting escorted back to your cell by a guard. Right. So that it's just an opportunity to do yes. Yeah. Actually, uh, one of the things that we that we did too, of course, of the uh, last episode was um, an effort to make the game uh, a little bit um, uh, 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 more easy for some people. We added this uh, story mode. Right. Which uh, essentially kind of is a way to uh, reduce the amount of AI, reduce the uh, the difficulty. Um, story mode. I thought it was. I thought it was baby mode. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what we call it in the code. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's right. Um, well, I mean, like the game. The game is yeah, intensive. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the AI? Like some of the challenges for guys with Navmesh. Sure. Um. So, as you might know, in our game. Hope is an AI herself, and she mainly just reacts to single touches by the player. Uh, she uses the same AI as the guards, actually, and they, they share a lot of the same AI behaviors, too. Um, a big challenge for the AI was uh, getting Hope to be smart about avoiding guards when she's in cover. It's a big feature in our game is that you can just tap on a cover, and she'll figure out, she'll try to figure out where you want her to go on the cover to stay away from guards. Right. To do this, we, we use a technique called influence mapping, um, which kind of, it'll go and pull where guards are and figure out what areas are dangerous. And once she's navigating, she goes and avoids places where she thinks uh, she'll be seen by guards. Right. This ended up being a big challenge in that it's difficult to do it with nav mesh, so we approach it from waypoints. So with nav mesh, you like make a mesh to do the navigable area, but with waypoints, you kind of place these individual points all over the place. Right. It's a lot uh, a lot more work for designers to set up the waypoint system than, say, the navmesh system, because Unity has a great navmesh maker, which you just hit a button, and if your collision's set up right, it's just going to bake it right where you want it. Right. We actually use both navmesh and waypoints, but we mainly end up using the waypoints because of the influence mapping, and also doors are a big consideration for you. Right. Gotcha. Well, uh, thank you very much for um, for chatting. Um, really wish the best for you guys. We'll wait to see what, what comes up next. And um, yeah, so uh, 
Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Awesome.